0: Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today I have a special guest. Her name is Sarah Powell, and she is a matchmaker at the prestigious international matchmaking service called McLean International. Today she is joined by me and my friend Jacqueline, and we are going to talk about matchmaking, how it works, and give you some fun behind-the-scenes tips on matchmaking. So let's get this matchmaking party started. Hi, Sarah. I'm going to jump right in. A burning question in my head is, what got you into matchmaking?
1: Yes, that is something that we do not grow up thinking, mom, I want to be a matchmaker. There are no degrees in matchmaking. So for me, I actually have, like you kind of shared or touched on before, a little bit of a psychology-driven background in behavioral psychology. And I also worked as an executive recruiter. So there's a lot of parallels in recruitment and having a psychology background that led me towards matchmaking. And I even worked with a with a business coach at one point, and we did an exercise on Ikigai, that the Japanese philosophy on purpose. Mm-hmm. And that is how I married up my different skill sets and sound matchmaking. Love
2: that. How do you assess for, like when you're looking for matchmaking potential partners for those who are, you know, I know you have those who approach you, but how do you
1: find matches for these people? Right. So we might want to take it back to the beginning where first we want to really know each client so we have a bit of a five-stage methodology at Macklin this is actually designed by our founder Rachel Macklin herself she's a chartered psychologist in the UK and this five-stage methodology can be applied to any person of any background the first stage would be knowing yourself and we do in in in-depth compatibility profilings We utilize that Wheel of Life tool, if you're familiar with that. It has life segmented in nine broadly different categories with upbringing, career and education, their belief systems, the whole nine, really kind of diving into that. And then we do values assessments as well. This will help us understand then who is their ideal partner. And that's when we'll get into the weeds of where we would find that person. So a lot of the time, in terms of where we're finding the, the match, we already have an existing network that we've built over the last 12 years or so, close to 18,000 people. And these are really highly sought after individuals. They're not going to be single forever. So by default, we're always not working. Number one way would be referrals. We do actually cross collaborate with other services out there. If there's a unified goal, finding a match, finding a match, we might team up. We have ambassadors. Those are individuals who are highly networked in particular communities. And then we are proactively sourcing online. So that is how my background in recruitment comes into play a lot using LinkedIn, not as a dating site, but as a professional way to make connections with other professional people.
0: So. I know that a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm ready to date or I'm ready to find somebody. Jacqueline and I talk about this a lot. And one of the things that we talk about is like, "Okay, what does ready look like? Like, how do you know when you're truly ready? And so in terms of finding candidates that are emotionally ready, what steps do you take to ensure that candidates are emotionally ready and available for a committed relationship before making a match?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and not always so obvious um, to pinpoint, but at Macklin, before we would agree to engage with a client on a matchmaking basis, we have in-depth consultations. So that's kind of like the pre-qualifying discussions where I myself would sit down and really understand where that person is based on, you know, how recent was their last relation and talk to me about what potentially led to the breakdown of that relationship. What are you actively doing right now? And like, what are your long-term goals? And kind of having a a fuller scope on how aware they are and how healed they are or ready they are. So those are perhaps some of the ways that we're indirectly understanding if they're emotionally available. But then I also have to be quite explicit and say, are you ready? Is this a priority for you? Where are you with things? And at that point is where I have to determine if I can take that at face value, or perhaps I'd advise. Not quite sure this is the right moment for us. Maybe there's some other tactics we could try. Matchmaking is not for everybody, you know. There we could do this X Y Z. Gently encourage coaching, something of that nature. But there are there are ways that I think we can determine or see if someone has that self-awareness and they're demonstrating that they're willing to grow and learn. And I think that is a good indicator that they're emotionally ready.
2: I liked that you used the words earlier and knowing yourself. And I was thinking about this from an attachment lens because, you know, the the challenge would be for those of us who are insecurely attached. When we are led, when our nervous system sends distress in some way, we lose that connection with kind of our logic or secure brain that says, Well, of course I want the relationship, or of course I want to respond in a way that's efficient and effective and healthy communication with my partner. But in the moment, actually my response might be to avoid, or my response might be to put high pressure on the person in order to get a response in some way. Or maybe I just, while I say I want a relationship, I I don't understand why I keep going for unavailable people. And, you know, when you mentioned how you kind of assess on the back end, like history of past relationships and what their perception of them is, which sometimes can even be off, right? Like sometimes they might have a flipped on what actually happened, right? Based on their attachment style and how they view others as like kind of a place for safety or a lack of safety. And I so I love this idea of like the psychology behind it. And I'm curious, do you guys have any kind of idea of how successful your matches are as far as like length of time? And are most people coming to the table saying, hey, I want serious," or do they go through the process and maybe realize they don't want a long-term relationship? Does that ever happen? That's
1: a great question. I think for the most part, um, we do emphasize from from the gates that our service focuses on long-term committed partnerships. So that really is our bread and butter. Um, we're not exclusive to someone that has freshly come out of a divorce or separation or the loss of a loved one. We still have the capacity to support them and, and help nurture them back into the dating world. But we would be looking then at their short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals. And that, like you're saying, back to the knowing themself aspect, it will be their upbringing as well as their past relationships. You had said, uh, we
2: had talked about, you know, the the kind of how you suss out if somebody has the kind of perspective swap as well as what kind of, do you
1: have any idea of your success rate? Yes. So for us, the success is Defined differently by each person's goal. So that's actually what I was getting at too, is that not every person has the same end goal. It could be just today. It could be to be in a long-term relationship. So for us, the definition of success is when two people say that they are going exclusive. And for us, when um, we have the expertise in the network and they have the relationship readiness and the gross mindset, that typically yields over 80%. Of our clients entering into a committed relationship or what they deem to be exclusive. What's the relationship readiness that you mentioned? Uh, That is when they are actually seeking to be in a relationship. So there will be those few individuals who are saying, at this stage of my dating journey, I am electing to work with you on a basis that I'm just going on dates to learn and to meet quality people and potentially that leads to something, but they're maybe communicating that that goal is not to be in a long-term relationship. It's perhaps more of an exploratory phase and we have the resources to kind of make that a safer environment today, maybe a more discreet way today as well. If a few of our clients are high profile, or again, maybe sensitive in nature. So there's some reasons why people might not even be looking for a a successful match, if that makes sense. They're really in it for the growth element. And so it sounds like you kind of,
2: you're not just working and finding somebody a match and saying, oh, how did that go? You're also kind of coaching them along the way with like kind of navigating different tools around communication Mm -hmm. and responses. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're coaching, advising and kind of providing feedback throughout their journey so they can be empowered to date better, even on their own accord, whether they're using a matchmaker, whether they step away and do online dating or, you know, find other alternatives. Um, But hopefully they will take their learnings and date better because it is a skill.
0: I I love that, that date better. And what I'm curious about is when you were talking about the mindset, I have you know friends who have used matchmaking services and were not successful at it. And as Jacqueline's talking about sort of like that, that insecure attachment, and I can imagine even somebody using this service coming from a place of anxiety, right? Oh, I really need to match with someone. I really need to find my forever partner. And I'm just wondering, How do you manage that as a matchmaker?
1: Right. It's a delicate balance with managing expectations because you don't want to diminish, like, hope (laughs) that, you know, it's very much possible everyone has a match out there. Now it's just reflecting back on the nuances of what has and hasn't worked. And likely, yeah, there could be trauma that's impacting their connections. It could be their, their selection process or their wish list is incorrect. And that is a lot of the adjustment that we work with people because their their experiences have influenced their unconscious and conscious beliefs. And Mm -hmm. we really have a values focus, Macklin. So when you use your values, that inherently kind of influences your decision-making. And so when we bring that to the forefront with our clients, Hopefully, they're more mindful about okay, what are what are the true qualities that I have, and what kind of would mirror or complement me in a partner. So a lot of that um, internal reflection, and then challenging or reevaluating what their criteria is, is something that we as matchmakers maybe might challenge their bias, saying like, okay, this is you know what you what you've done. Previously, and what you think you need, but perhaps this is a blind spot, or maybe we can push you to kind of go outside of your comfort zone and try something different. So, people that have an anxious background, maybe they've been attracting, you know, the
2: more avoidance types,
1: the wooden types who, you know, are prioritizing time, for example. So, um, thinking about how that might conflict if they're an uber busy professional and they're seeking out uber, other uber busy professionals, maybe we can think of someone with a more flexible, a like, creative background. Like, have you ever explored that? And I don't know, just finding creative ways to show that their values can present themselves differently and find ways for them to think and approach dating differently, because that's clearly something that they've been perhaps doing on their own, hasn't been working. So they're looking for alternative ways.
0: Yeah. So really getting outside of their box.
1: hundred percent. Kind of
0: like pushing them out of, yeah, uh, out of their comfort zone.
1: Yeah. I think it's good to have clarity around like what is important, but not being too rigid on that box and, and having only one perspective on how that how someone that's open-minded looks like or someone that's financially independent looks like or good sense of humor you know there's all these things that have a broad spectrum
2: yeah i love that you mentioned rigidity like the rigid mindset because when our brains are in a state of rigidity so rigidity can look like thought obsession or you know no it's just this way it's just this way, right hard lining it and the brain is actually in a state of disorganization which means it is actually inflexible. And when we're in a state of disorganization, we're out of uh, that securely attached place, that place that connects us with that like highest self or inner wisdom, you know. And I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, things like sometimes I hear things mirrored to me around, oh, they, this person, I need to be, you know, very strongly physically attracted, right? If they're not, if they're, if they're not, if I'm not attracted to them, forget it, it's not a match. And I hear in that oftentimes, like this rigidity. And I'm curious of how you work with something like that. Whereas on the flip side, some people say, hey, well, then are you telling me I should date people I'm not attracted to? So where does that sit in
1: for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I acknowledge that attraction is a component of compatibility and We lean in and we let people know they're not wrong for having attraction as a qualifier, um, but that shouldn't be the leading component driving their decision-making, especially when coming to a service like ourself where we're evaluating the fuller scope of the individual. You could go online and swipe through dozens of people at first glance, but you'll have no true understanding of their demeanor, well, what are their real goals? What are their values? People do not really know how to demonstrate that well online. And so here our job is to vet and interview people based on their values, their lifestyle, their long- term goals, and we can make a better assessment. This person's a match. and hopefully that makes them more attractive to you too. So it's the discussion of what is really the most important in Hopefully, we're really honing in on the people, our clientele, that appreciate the values, the lifestyle, and the long-term goals are fundamentally more important in a healthy, stable relationship. And attraction is a bonus. It's not minimizing the fact that you should be attracted to this person. But again, attraction can grow. We do share photos. There are services out there that have blind setups. We're pro photos. But I think we reserve that to the end. So when we're presenting a match to a client, we're really focusing on, again, that fuller scope of the individual. This is not a glorified dating. We want to bring the real person to the, the table. And then we're actually meeting people over video or in person um, to remove that catfishing phenomena that goes on. So hopefully there's a lot of level of security that people understand. We do value what someone, how they present themselves. But let's make sure that's not a deal breaker in certain capacities, like hair color or waist size or certain things of that nature. It's a delicate balance. But I think the clientele that we work with appreciate attraction isn't everything.
2: Well, it's like when you're looking at attraction as everything or leading with that or whatever that is for you, this person must be a creative and I'm leading strictly with that. Like what I hear in that is a little bit of somewhere along the lines or something that somewhere you didn't get what you wanted or needed, right? And so you're trying to make up for it in some other way that creates a bit of a fantasy and a compartmentalization around the person, which inevitably is not going to lead to that deeper fulfilling connection. It's gonna keep you in the idea of what a relationship should be versus the reality of a relationship is. And I'm always like, well, you know, chemistry can come in many ways. Like, is there some type of chemistry, you know? And taking it from there versus it needs to look this specific way. And, and that's challenging, I think, around like the online dating apps, right? Like this is a bit hard to to decipher from that aspect.
0: Also, I feel like, you know, the online dating apps, it is essentially like a gaming app, right? And so It feels like what you're presenting is so much more intentional. I'm not, if I'm using your service, I'm not waiting for some dopamine hit for somebody to like me. Like this is a process and an investment. And that's what I love about what you're presenting around the matchmaking, because it's something that's like, I mean, when you were talking earlier, oh, some people are just like, oh, I just want to date. And I thought that was so interesting because I'm wondering how many people are signing up for your service that just want to date different people and practice dating as opposed to somebody who's like, no, I'm ready to meet somebody in a more intentional way, somebody who has the same values, somebody who I hope that there's some type of attraction. And then I could see really building a, a a life with or having a longer-term relationship. So I'm kind of curious, like when you were talking about, oh, I just want to date, you know, I'm like, well, why aren't they just going on one of the dating apps if they just want to practice dating? So what's the difference in practice dating in a dating app and practice dating at your matchmaking service?
1: Yeah, I would say it's it's majority percentage of long-term committed relationships but there will be the few that just aren't quite ready so this is something where perhaps it is again separation divorce loss of loved one I think that's or or they just have never really had a relationship before so we're prepping and priming them the takeaway here is that is the minority of our clients, but the communication that we share with their matches is very forward. Depending on what each client's goal is, it's it's completely fair to tell a match, "I understand your goal is to be to have marriage and children." Our client today, this is his circumstance, and at this that's this stage of his dating journey, he is looking to date, get to know someone, and in five, 10 years, he would like to settle and have family. So you're really communicative at least to see if that is in alignment with what the match wants. And many matches won't say that's not really for me or others are like, okay, I understand where he's coming from. I totally get it. Like, thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm still open to to meeting him or her.
2: How do you navigate it when the pool becomes smaller and smaller based on those needs? And maybe, I mean, do you ever come with them to you? Or really now now how I'm going to go find somebody for this person.
1: Yeah, there are always, I think by nature, coming to a matchmaker, we have people with really specific set of preferences. So we do, we are pr- pretty inclusive working with men, women, LGBT, all ethnicities, all religion. So Coming to a matchmaker might be a way to access a, a demographic, so to speak, that you don't have um, enough resources for. So we, we bring that in. So it's it's fine to be really specific. But I think there is, again, that expectation setting of keeping an open mind on everything else. If, you know, ethnicity or if religion, if these things are a high priority to you, let's see the see your openness on age range on geography maybe we can date outside of your immediate area so there's a ways that we can maybe do trade-offs or you know try to cast the net wider so to speak we try to use examples from past clients or there's this really compelling book dr hannah she has dr hannah fry it's like the math of love and she has this example of if there's A man living in London, population of 8 million people, and you put eight basic criteria, that goes from 8 million people down to 800 viable matches just by saying, I want a certain gender. They have to be single. They have to be in this distance, this age range, have a degree, be attractive, attractive to me, and we get along. Those are very basic elements. And a population of 8 million dwindles to 800. So that alone is hopefully an exercise for people to realize, like, okay, shoot, I don't want to be ultra picky. I need to think more critically about what my deal breakers are and my preferences. Have a, again, back to your values, what are objective criteria versus subjective criteria? That subjective criteria, can you dig a bit deeper Six foot height is your minimum. How is that fundamental to your happiness? Tell me. (laughs) and then We're going to challenge where we can. I don't ever want to be disrespectful. And we always tell clients, you're not wrong for having a preference. But you do need to understand why that's your preference and communicate that to us. Because if you're not even able to articulate why it's important, then it probably isn't important. And how do they (laughs) respond
2: (laughs) when you say it probably isn't important?
1: Well, then they, you would use, I think it's in cognitive behavioral therapy, that like downward arrow technique where you say, okay, well, tell me why. Okay, what did that suggest? And you just keep pushing and probing until they really can't dive any deeper. And then they might come to their own conclusion. Okay, what I really mean is this. Oh, okay, perfect. Mm -hmm. So probably that is the true criteria, not IV educated. What you're really getting after is you want someone ambitious, you know, that opens up a whole new realm of people outside of an Ivy education. And then, they're, okay, fair enough. And then there's, there's a, a wider pool that instantly we're opening up.
0: And, and I love that you challenge that, right? The challenging of, oh, he, the person has to be six feet tall. Right. And, and then you're saying like, OK, is that really like instrumental to your happiness? I mean, that's such a powerful thing to think about. Right. What, and, and to really challenge that and like, yeah, why is somebody who's six foot tall going to make me happier than somebody who's 5'10"?
1: Exactly. I think one of our team members putting um, a blog out on how her short men make great husbands. <laughs> There's some study out there. <laughs> That's true, yeah. and and it's funny
0: because if you're in LA, the criteria is only that you have a job and a car. So I wonder if that was like eight million down to eight hundred as well. <laughs> and as it's like, you know, your, your girlfriend's like, "Oh, I met someone, and he has a job and a car." It's like, yay! <laughs> oh,
1: where you <to> find him? <laughs>
0: I'm curious, you know, just going from
2: a gender normative perspective, as far as men versus women, who do you find more flexible in navigating matches with?
1: Oh, it's it's actually a mixed bag. I think it would probably go back to towards their attachment style and how secure they are. Um, I don't find that there there will be reoccurring pain points with women versus Men, maybe some of the woman clientele that we're representing, maybe there's more of a biological time pressure to have family versus men. Maybe there is a certain level of success they wanted to achieve before they started pursuing a relationship. So they're trying to date at a larger age gap, something of that nature. Curious more
2: about the pain points that you're seeing, because you brought up some good ones, juicy ones for as far as like and heterosexual relationships, like what could be those pain points? But I'm curious of what you see in LGBTQ community as far as pain points.
1: Interestingly, a lot of the gay clientele that I work with, they would have a preference for moderate, discreet presenting, like for a gentleman to say, okay, on the spectrum of masculine to feminine. I identify as masculine and I'd like a masculine presenting male. And that is a quite interesting dynamic where it's, I feel that in many of my gay clientele, that seems to be the similar preference, which can become challenging to say, I want a masculine presenting person. So it might take some unpacking on, on, okay, what does that mean? You know, what does that actually look like? Because that is very subjective too. So it's again, pulling back at the heart of like, what, what is the value behind that? Or what is, what is the thought process and logic behind that? And what would you
2: say, you know, as a matchmaker is kind of the overriding theme of like, what are two of the biggest challenges that you kind of come up against or the most common challenges that you uh, come up against as you're trying to help match people?
1: In relation to attachment, or just like in general, general, our clientele typically are working professionals, and I think one theme that I see are is a difficulty of transitioning from like work mode to date mode, and having people kind of reel back that that front where they are carrying the boardroom energy into their date, or they have a date be very interview like so there's a bit of reprogramming and coaching with a lot of our clients on how to lean in more on the intimate side of conversations teaching someone to be vulnerable is hard but I know kind of giving ideas on things that they can open up about
2: That makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, a lot of high success in career is associated with those who kind of lead with a more avoidant attachment style. And so I can see, right, like where that might be more challenging if you're dealing with people who tend to have, you know, made a fair amount of money or been very successful in their careers, right? They're leading by that instead of that intimacy. And that's because, right, from that attachment angle, somewhere along the lines, they learned that wasn't safe. But in fact, if I avoid and distract myself with my career, I can have a sense of safety here because I have control over it. So that would make sense and where that challenge would lie. And oh, now I have to go back and be intimate and that might feel awkward or phony even for somebody who's
1: used to operating in the world very differently. Absolutely. I think we do work with so many high achievers, top of their industry or many degrees or well-traveled, whatever kind of capacity, like high achieving looks like. But perhaps one downfall is they have not quite figured out
0: relationships.
1: So I think you, you have, you're on the right logic or thought process with that too.
0: Yeah, I can imagine being in charge and then, and having a lot of people work for you when you have to be A certain way and so boundaried, right? And then when it comes to having an interpersonal relationship with someone, you know, how do you teach vulnerability? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you teach someone to open up about themselves and maybe to share something that doesn't feel comfortable or that would feel like they're being exposed like a weakness? Mm -hmm. Do you have some sort of tips or tools that you use to help? People with these, I guess, icebreakers, or how do you teach people to open up more of themselves?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we do have coaching available. I guess it's somewhat infused through the service, but when we're presenting a match to a client, you will hear the highlights of the positives of why you're compatible and maybe the potential drawbacks why that person's not a perfect match because there's no such thing as perfect match and there will be things that I think resonate with a client you know we're having this conversation that oh that's that's so cool that she also grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and now we're both here in LA like wow or like oh, she really really enjoys like going trekking in mountains like that's so cool we'll definitely get on on that so kind of For us to highlight those points of compatibility gives them a lot of green lights on things to connect with that person on when they do meet. Again, that maybe they'd be shy to discuss if they met that person online or, you know, if they're doing their own like researching and like stalking and they're like, oh, I can't let them know that I saw them hiking and bring it up casually. So here it's like, okay you both are aware of what what each other are all about. So I think that creates a little bit of a safety when they do get to finally meet that person. So that alone is an encouraging way for them to be more vulnerable. And then the other side of it, which we haven't quite talked about yet, is there's feedback. That's a really critical part of matchmaking, which you don't get in the, in the wild. You're not really going to know what the other person thinks on the other side of the table. So with us, we have the ability to debrief with our clients and their match. How did it go? You know, this is a phone call. This is where we're, we're asking, what was the conversation like? How was the date etiquette? You know, were you attracted? And then really even pushing it further to have them reflect, did you guys think you were compatible? And how did you feel in their presence? Those are the bigger takeaways that we want them to learn. And we will use that feedback to helpfully encourage future date or ongoing dates with a match, or maybe we take some learnings and utilize that and make adjustments in our service. I love that you
2: said, how do you feel? And I'm curious because oftentimes people answer this statement in a way that doesn't actually address their feelings. So an example of that would be, how did you feel about that? And they'll say that person was stressful, for example, which is not your own feeling, right? It's just something about the situation. So I'm curious of like how you navigate that for people who haven't quite learned how to have the aptitude to like, in essence, say I felt encouraged or I felt disappointed after this date or I felt anxious or... I felt secure, you know, I felt excited. So so when they don't have that aptitude or maybe just say it was fine or
1: it was good,
2: where, where do you go with that?
1: Yeah, that's why it is helpful to have two perspectives because then we have a, a better scope on perhaps like what the real temperament of the date was. But with how you feel we were we are kind of addressing what is like the energy what was the whole like takeaway the conversation and because we aren't there to really know what's happening we we do have to guide it based on okay you thought it was fine um what could have been better and maybe that is a reframe on a way for them to say like what they felt was missing you know just trying to like rejig the question in in a way that allows them to expand without feeling like it's something that we're criticizing you know it's just like we're really here in a place to be curious and a place to learn and to help get it right you know if it wasn't quite right like if you're not stepping away from this state thinking yes I do want to see that person like let's let's think about you know what improvement or you know again they might really put the focus on the match, which would be interesting, right? Okay, there's one element to it. But then maybe they'll start to think about their involvement in the date. And I think we are uh, patient in the sense that we'll wait a couple dates to really see a pattern before we perhaps present that kind of reoccurring feedback to a match. So they can see this is not a one-off situation. I have heard this actually, from a couple of matches at this stage. So I think it's relevant for us to discuss.
0: Wow. I like- love that. Yeah. And one of the most traumatizing things that come up around dating is being ghosted and then not knowing why. And so I love this feedback just to be able to get the feedback and to be able to like take it in and process it. And again, that goes back to how we started this conversation, which is knowing yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think if uh in the beginning, when we are getting to know our clients, we do actually ask how do you like feedback? Because not everyone has the skin. <laughs> to to hear it so we will change or adapt our how we relay things to them accordingly many clients i would say majority of clients actually are really in the mindset the growth mindset tell me tell me how it was you know unfiltered i won't take it personal and then other times it's like okay i just want it black or white did they like me or did they not like me? And they don't want further detail. And then other people want to sugarcoat, you know, well, this is nice, this is good, this is good, and then not really hear the negatives. So depending on on how each person wants it, we will be delicate to that or mindful of that. But I would say for the most part, people are really curious and hungry to know how they could be better. And that's always super refreshing. And even the match, even the matches are like, it's so cool that I get to call you and tell you like how it went. It really shows you care. And, you know, that's always nice feedback from from both ends.
2: You know, it's almost like you're offering really a secure approach to dating. Like we call it matchmaking, but it's, it's you know, having that feedback, acknowledged, mirrored back, kind of sussing out where those points might be a little bit weaker, what you're stronger at, and really helping one get to know themselves and you know, kind of figure out like where those blocks are. I'm, and I'm, and <laughs> you know, I was
0: going to say, so I love how you describe the three ways that people want their feedback because that's basically the, you know, three attachment styles. So the secure is like, yeah, I, I want to hear the feedback. The avoidance like, just give it to me. Yes or no. Did they like me or do did they d- didn't like me? And then the uh, anxious is like, just tell me the good stuff.
1: <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> Never thought about that. It's so true. There is the correlation, huh?
2: And could be. I'm thinking the disorganized might go back and forth and say, "Oh, I want to be feedback. No, I don't want to be back. Or I changed my mind. Like I, you know, let the, you
1: like know? I don't want to date her again. Or like, oh, can can you set up that date again? So it's
0: like, oh gosh,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's still- I'm just curious if you have any tips around somebody who wants to explore matchmaking.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think we have a really lovely industry. I just came back from a conference with amazing matchmakers. And it's almost like you have to match with your matchmaker. You need to align with their approach. You want to feel that they have the appropriate network for you and just kind of learn about their style, their communication and I think there are some quote vetting questions that you can have when you're speaking to a matchmaker in, in those regards of what type of client, what kind of demographic do you serve best? What are, what are the type of people in your network? Just giving a better pulse for that. And then again, you can call me, we're pretty inclusive and we'll walk through a little bit more specifics about yourself, your search, your goals. And then we do a a complimentary consultation to see if it's a mutual fit, because we do want to maintain a level of success and we do want to be um, selective as well in terms of who we can best support. So I always call them mutual fit meetings. Call your matchmaker, figure out what feels like a good fit. And to be honest, like if it's not a good fit for me, I'm really happy to connect with other services and make a referral to someone that might be better suited to your need.
2: I'm curious uh, over, you know, the past few years, the consensus out there in my experience when I talk to people who are single is really, it's a dumpster fire. It's become even worse. Like no, regardless of the age, you know, 20s up to 60s, it really doesn't matter. I'm hearing that kind of across the board, board that people are really frustrating, uh, frustrated and the landscape has really changed. But I'm curious if on... From your perspective, in the matchmaking industry, have you seen that or no?
1: Absolutely. I talk to singles every day. There is a large frustration with dating apps. That is the number one way people are meeting from surveys since 2021. That is now the number one way people meet. So I think by default there there's going to be a little bit of frustration because it's a whole new approach to dating. So there, again, it needs to be a, a learning of skills. Online dating and in-person dating are actually quite different. Again, knowing how to best present yourself. I think people make the mistake of wanting to attract and appeal everyone. And we're not looking to date and marry and be partners with everyone. We're looking for one specific person So understanding, again, who you are, what your values are, what your goals are, and then being really unique and specific to yourself. I think that will yield better experience. But I also think there's a growth of matchmaking right now, which is super exciting because people are looking for alternatives to offline. So for me, I am excited about helping more and more people. It, and inspire and encourage because I don't want people to feel like I don't want to even try dating to feel like they're stuck. Yeah.
2: It seems almost like, you know, as I'm thinking about the difference between, you know, at least a, a psychologically driven matchmaking uh, companies such as yours or uh, versus a uh, dating app. And a dating app, I'm thinking, is a great way to perpetuate and even strengthen your insecure attachment style, right? Because it's giving you a certain amount of control or reinforcing more confusion about the dating process and setting people up for failure in a way, objectifying people, right? The throwaway culture, you know, the ghosting culture, which is you know, what I'm hearing from you guys is just pulling all that away and really looking at ourselves honestly. And what are our limitations? What are our values? What are we working
1: with here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also even a lot of the people that I work with, I wouldn't even say that they're actually really desirable people. Perhaps they just like lack time that it takes to put into doing that. And it's not that they wouldn't get a match online. They might actually get hundreds of matches online, but there's the paradox of choice in that sense, where they don't even know how to make a decision. So they're like paralyzed and, and can't move forward. So there's so many, yeah, there's a lot of challenges internally and externally, predating and while dating and we we have a little bit of we have a tool your dating blueprint and that kind of helps assess what people's reoccurring pain points are that way we can break it down for them and see okay this is where you're struggling it's this is all external things like a photos that you could do better that will help get better matches or maybe it's internal while you're dating and it it leads more to the attachment styles okay we're continuously not moving forward on dates with people that are actually amazing matches why are we avoiding that why are we not pursuing those people so there there's a lot of ways that we'll step in diagnose where are you struggling and how can we help you I'm curious. I th- I feel
2: that people's kind of number one hesitation would be like, will they have matches within like what I'm looking for? And I'm thinking about, you know, someone I knew who who used a service who actually had that experience of, and they had spent a lot of money on a service and the people just weren't her cup of tea or the people weren't there, weren't their cup of tea. And I'm curious of what, what would you say about that?
1: Right. I think that is part of understanding the network and the resource of your service that you're engaging with. Do they have the connections to if they don't already have that perfect pool of people, will they have the ability to connect with more for me? Because that, that is definitely what we do. It's multifaceted. It's not just, okay, you're only going to meet the people we know. We are actually externally going out and finding more people. So understanding that there is that commitment to you and your service, but also perhaps they were not digging deep enough and understanding how more people could be matches for her or challenging her to understand like how specific she was with her preferences and seeing like where they could maximize more opportunities. So it's really hard to examine why that particular service and that particular client didn't lean lead into a long-term relationship. But I think those are some immediate takeaways of see what networks are available to you and look at yourself and think about how wide can I Cast my net.
0: Yeah. And again, going back to that metaphor of the box, right? We don't know how narrow or wide that person's box is because I feel like people come in with this vision and it might not really be matching what it is that they're going to end up with. So I'm actually curious what is it like to date as a matchmaker?
1: Yeah, when I first started matchmaking 4 years ago, I was single. Yeah, it, like everything that I am preaching, then I have to put into practice too, right? How rigid am I being on my own dating apps? I will share that I was avoidant. And
0: the- yay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was thinking about my past relationship with my dad. Not so great nowadays, don't even really have communication so I think it was like okay if someone so close to me could just get up and and go like that made me really scared to connect with a guy so put up a bunch of walls this hyper independent I'm like a career go-getter type of gal I moved to Australia literally and just escaped and then COVID hit and and all the things happened So I realized, okay, I don't want to keep going down that path. I want to lean in, not or uh, not avoid, I guess. And yeah, just kind of kept challenging myself as I was dating why I was or wasn't pursuing someone. And then eventually when I was really like, okay, these are my main values. If I see potential with health, personal development is a big one of mine there's there was a few main values that i focused on and i was able to demonstrate that better on my app i was getting way more intriguing messages like talk, people talking to me about personal development or all of these things and i was like oh my gosh there's like a whole new batch of guys that i had never really like considered before and then now i'm in a long term relationship and very aligned on those things. And it's just the best. Best get that. The process worked.
0: The process worked. And by knowing yourself and putting that out there, that's the type, that's what you attracted.
1: Yeah, it wasn't okay. an overnight. It was not an overnight. No,
0: it's not overnight.
1: So, and arguably I have like all the tools and resources that one could have and it still doesn't like make it easy. So it's just about wanting to, to grow and be better. And I think that's, if you're self-aware enough to start learning about attachment theory, then hopefully you're on that right path towards <laughs> opening yourself up to becoming more secure and finding that right person. Sarah, where can people find you? They can connect with me on Exo Sarah Jo on Instagram, on my LinkedIn, Sarah Joe Powell on our website. They can book a call and we can just have a friendly chat about matching. Either way, there's no harm. I want to be able to spread awareness and education and again, encourage people. So even if it isn't through us, maybe I can put you in the right direction to other services.
0: Yeah, well, thank you because I was always curious about matchmaking and I feel like it's been demystified for me and it feels like a safer place to venture into.
1: Thank you. Well, that's exactly my hope. So, Thank I really you. appreciate you giving me the opportunity to shed some light.
0: Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming onto this podcast. And I don't know about you listeners, but I certainly learned a lot about matchmaking from talking with Sarah. So if you are interested in any matchmaking opportunities, please reach out to Sarah at McLean International. That will be in the show notes. And if you want to reach out to me to have any questions or any opportunities, please DM me on my Instagram at Therapy. I can also be reached at MaryBtherapy.com. So again, thank you so much for listening.